When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Billy Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go Billy Up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, as Super Bowl 56 is set, we continue our journey on some of the greatest playoff games in NFL history. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. It's great to be back. So glad to be back after having to take a week off. Look, NFL historians, y'all know the story. Lovers of sports history, this show is for you and not for the know-it-alls. You know-it-alls, poof, be gone. Find another show. This is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So, yes, we are here to enlighten, teach, and learn. We're actually back to continue to enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Billy Up Sports, the Billy Up Sports podcast network, BillyUpSports.com. You can catch all of our shows, including and especially this one, on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and a lot of other black podcasting platforms. I got my sheet. We're ready. We're back with some paper. Um, Of course, there was no show on last Tuesday. Um, My mother... I found out on Thursday the 20th that my mother had passed away. And I just cannot thank enough all of those who have reached out to me and my family, my brother and I, Chauncey Neal, all the cards, uh, the financial gifts, the support, the prayers, the thoughts, all of it to my FedEx family, my belly up sports family, my church family. All of you are awesome. I can't thank all of you enough. So I'm dedicating this show to my mother, Eugenia Joanne Sweeney, a multi-talented singer, musician, songwriter, uh, playwright. Um, there's nothing that she couldn't do. A minister. She she had so many things uh, that she did with her life, and she fulfilled her purpose. And I thank God for my mother. Uh, thank God for the time with my mother. 
and um, I'm really going to miss her dearly. Crazy thing is, uh, when my parents were apart, uh, I was living with her at one point back in what, 91, 92. And actually we were, me and my brother were there, I think it was like every other weekend, something like that. And I remember watching Super Bowl 26 all by myself at her house. I remember her coming up into my room and she basically was upset because I was watching the game on a Sunday. I mean, she wasn't like a strict Sunday mother, but she was always at church. You know, she was in the choir and she was involved and she was a lead singer and, and did so many things. Um, I still can't remember why, but she wasn't that much of a sports fan to begin with. I'm just being honest. So, you know, it was really, really uh, that that kind of popped into my head thinking about my mother. One of the stories when it just came down to sports. Um, but it was a game that really turned out in my favorite. Watched it beat Buffalo that that night in Minneapolis. And again, it was that time of year that made me fall in love with the NFL in the first place. Uh, fall in love with football. Yet another memory that I have of my mother um, is I think that she she really started to understand my love of the game because it was around then I started playing as well in middle school. There was uh, anyone old enough to remember VHS tapes. You could return, uh, return, <laughs> record things straight from the television. My mom had movies upon movies upon movies on several VHS tapes. Okay, we recorded stuff off of Showtime and Cinemax and HBO and and everything. Uh, we, we were movie buffs. We still are. You know, we're movie buffs. My side of the family, especially between me and my mother, uh, as well as music uh, buffs. But I recorded. I took one of those tapes and those Super Bowl memories I'm always talking about with Steve Sable on ESPN. I think I started recording some of those 30 minute segments. Uh, that they played on ESPN around Super Bowl time, somewhere between, I don't know, it was somewhere between 11 and midnight until about 4 in the morning. And I recorded over some of her movies. And I think I, I started with Super Bowl five when I decided and got guts enough to grab one of those tapes because I just rushed and I just put it in there. I made sure it was rewound all the way to the beginning. So I get use all of it and I hit that record button. And I think I got Super Bowls five through 24. Like I said, 30 minute segments and she came downstairs at one point and cut it clean off. I could not believe it. And because she was I mean, she was understandably upset, but she came back probably about 20 minutes later and she turned it back on and hit the record button because she shut the TV off and and pushed the power button on the uh, on the tape. And I still have those tapes around here somewhere, but they may be in storage. But uh, I understood her anger, being a you know me being a parent myself, because she, you know, well, you record off my movies, and I'm not you know say like I mean I love I like basketball, I don't love it like my oldest son, so that's the equivalent of my my oldest son taking some of my prized movies and recording over over them with some basketball stuff, you know NBA Finals stuff all right and I'd be upset and then I could understand coming back and say okay I understand you love this stuff and she hit the button and resumed and I think it started up somewhere in the middle of Super Bowl six so uh when uh Larry Zonka had fumbled in the first time in like 245 carries or something like that uh when it came back on so 
I mean, that, that was one of the more vivid memories when it came to football and my mom. It, it was great. All right, so let's go ahead, and we're going to move forward with the show, man. You know what it is. It's the rundown playoff style. So, yeah, I missed last week, so I'll be brief. One thing of note, well, it was week before last, actually. One thing of note in the playoffs is that no lead is safe. None. We'll go back. Bengals at Titans. Tennessee, you should have given the ball to Dante Foreman more. Period. All right, I understand that Derrick Henry was back, but he wasn't that effective. The Titans defensive unit, they did their job. Nine sacks, but the Bengals won that game based on, what, three turnovers from Ryan Tannehill, and I can't defend him. I really can't. Not that much, even though that last pick was a tip drill, but you got to be better. And for all of you Titans fans that are uh, complaining, I know about him. Remember the offensive coordinator, Todd Down, and this is his first year as the offensive coordinator. His first year, I believe, as a coordinator, period. So, I mean, he has to learn <laughs> at some point. I understand there's no patience for that. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, you got to be more creative on offense. And I heard people on the radio left and right complaining. And, and then at the same time, it's amazing to me when you hear the postseason remarks from media as well as fans, and they're looking at the teams that are going into going further into the playoffs or the teams that's in the Super Bowl. Well, we need to be like that. Yeah, you're right, but you have to understand the the, the difference between let's just say one of the uh, things that was thrown out there, the 49ers. They want to be. They should be more like the 49ers, and that's kind of the thought that I had because. We had a couple fans that would say, well, we have A.J. Brown, and, and I look at A.J. Brown, if we could do the same things with him that Debo Samuel is doing. I don't know if that's totally true, but there's a difference in coaching. That's called Kyle Shanahan and, you know, the guys that we have on our staff. Mike Vrabel, good coach, not necessarily an offensive guru, <laughs> not, not at all. Um, but Vrabel uh, and his staff, they would have to be a lot more creative. They need to learn. If you want to keep the running thing going with – Derrick Henry, you can do that. On the other side, though, as far as the Bengals, they, they won that game. Burrow had 348 yards passing and no touchdowns, and the Bengals still found a way. 49ers at Packers, so Matt LaFleur and the Packers coaching staff will be on the sidelines for the NFC Pro Bowl. They're coaching the Pro Bowl team for the NFC this week coming up, and that's not what they wanted. Kyle Shanahan and his staff moved on to the NFC Championship game. Clearly the Packers have an issue with the 49ers. They don't match up very well, period, okay? Now, all we need to know is if Aaron Rodgers, was, if he's gonna stick around or not. And if he doesn't, we'll see what kind of coach LaFour is without a Hall of Fame level quarterback, and it won't be easy. Rams at Bucks, well, you know, Von Miller and that Rams defense, they showed up big time. And what proved to be in what proved to be Tom Brady's final game in professional football. The man who led the league in touchdown passes and yards brought Tampa back from being down 27-3. to The defense screwed up, though. Cooper Cup catches that last bomb, and the game-winning field goal was kicked. Brady didn't even get a chance to come back on the field. Very proud of Matt Stafford, though. Got his wingman, Dan Olofsky, last week, wearing his top gun bomber coat on ESPN, even as I have a Top Gun t-shirt on myself. Lucky Brands, love this shirt. But most importantly, no turnovers. All right, at least this week, I mean last week. Bills at Chiefs. Remember when you left any time on the clock for the Chiefs and they were guaranteed points? They did that that week. 
and I can't, and you can't even leave 13 seconds on the clock. And, you know, those are the Chiefs that I remember. Don't get it twisted, Bills fans. Josh Allen is that one, period. Allen made the plays. It wasn't Stephon Diggs or Dawson Knox on top of that, but it was Gabriel Davis who had, what, eight catches, 201 yards, and four touchdowns. All right, so if Buffalo is ever going to win a championship, it's going to go through Kansas City and apparently through the Bengals as well. Instant classic, though. That game, instant classic. Andy Reid, the man's going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, no doubt. He's the first coach in NFL history to make or to take two different teams to four straight conference championship games. He also has another number that's on the negative side. Get to that in a second. Nobody else has done that. 2001 to 04, the Eagles. And now from 18 to 21, he's taking the Chiefs, and they're not necessarily done. On to the AFC Championship game this past weekend. First of all, all I want to know who is the Chiefs fan that had the Dallas Cowboy hat on. That dude should have been immediately expelled from the game. I blame him for them losing. Now, the Chiefs, they scored on three straight drives. Touchdowns, right? And they should have gotten the easy three at the end of the half. Mahomes said it himself. They got greedy. Should have threw the ball out of bounds, kicked the field goal, and then you got some momentum going into halftime. Instead, they throw the little ball out to Tyreek Hill with no timeouts left. He gets tackled. Uh, Eli Apple, by the way, don't, say less. Say less. You know you can't cover that man. You can't cover a bed with a sheet anyway. That's why you're on your third team. Decent cornerback, not great. Don't, don't, don't talk big. Just, just study to be quiet. That's what the Bible says. Anyway, uh, look, you know, they shouldn't have got that easy three. They didn't. So second half, the next five Kansas City drives went a little something like this. Punt, punt, interception, punt, punt. Not good. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Bengals were busy tying an AFC championship record by overcoming an 18-point deficit, taking the lead 24-21 to deep into the fourth quarter. And yes, the Chiefs, they tied it at 24, sending the game into overtime. But also, yes, another game, another tip drill, another interception, and another game-winning field goal. It's probably not going to stop in, in another week because I could totally see the Super Bowl coming down to one play once again it's it's crazy it's crazy but i almost un, never understand this it's like the chiefs hit the cruise control button have they not seen or been a part of already all of these playoff games and even some of these regular season games the Bengals are kind of like roaches all right you can't just step on them and keep going you have to step on them keep your foot on them spin spray them with a roach killer and then light them on fire joe burrow and the Bengals, they just will not die Period. You just got through playing them a couple of weeks ago. You seen Sports Center? Do you watch television? Are you not aware? You have to kill these teams. I don't understand it. Why you don't keep the foot on the gas? Don't try to protect the lead. You have to be aggressive. Be aggressive. Uh, now the Cincinnati Bengals are in the freaking Super Bowl. I'm a little conflicted on the inside. Why? Because I'm a Steelers fan, but also because I'm a Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase fan since. LSU because I was so impressed with them this before the year before they won a national championship I don't ask me why I was just rooting for the guys and then they go through and do that it just made it even worse and they've done nothing but impress me since they've been in the league one thing I do as a Steelers fan is I always watch the NFL draft the rest of the NFC North excuse me AFC North who are they selecting in the draft especially at quarterback as soon as they pick Joe Burrow, I said, we're in trouble. 
I was nervous when the Browns picked Baker Mayfield. I feel a little bit better about that now. I mean, Baker's not terrible, but he's still enough to make me nervous. And I also got nervous when the Ravens selected Lamar Jackson. And now I'm, I mean, it's proof positive. Lamar Jackson is, <clears throat> now Joe Burrow is definitely the best quarterback in the AFC North. Probably the second or third best quarterback in the AFC period. Uh, one of the top in the tops in the league, period. But, you know, I'm waiting as a Steelers fan to see who the Steelers are going to select officially. But, you know, for now, man, I don't even know anymore. Again, who they nation, though? That's the Cincinnati, Bing Cincinnati Bengals fans. I apologize again to Zach Taylor as well as to you and the entire Bengals organization, especially to Zach Taylor, head coach. I thought this man would be fired at the end of the year. Now it looks like he's going to get an extension. And as far as the Chiefs are concerned, they're not done. They're not done. They'll probably be back. But, you know, some of those numbers on Mahomes totally out the window. Those extraordinary numbers by Patrick Mahomes. This is his first career loss when leading by 15-plus points. He's now 37-1. Was undefeated. He also threw his first interception in the AFC Championship game in four games. Well, make that two because he had the one in overtime that pretty much finished him. And Andy Reid, look, not all Hall of Famers are perfect. But not only, <laughs> and I have to give credit to my buddy Kirby because he's the one who sent this information to me. Uh, Andy Reid is the only coach in NFL history to blow three leads of 18 points or more in playoff games. This is the third one. He did it against the Titans, was happy about that because <laughs> the Titans would, you know, had to come back. Um, and, and like he did it again after that. And that now he blows an 18 point lead against the Bengals. And that was tied for an NFL record, an AFC championship record. Like I said, Hall of Famers aren't perfect. NFC championship, 49ers at Rams. Yes, we know that the last six games, they have not been able to, the Rams have not been able to beat the 49ers after taking what two of the first three or three of the first four games uh sean mcveigh has lost six straight to san francisco and kyle shanahan well guess what now matt stafford odell beckham jr and jalen ramsey are going to the super bowl i'm not gonna lie i got nervous when stafford threw that first pick wasn't his necessarily his fault it was a, his only turnover of the game but the 49ers they did their thing and were up 17 to 7 but they couldn't run the football unless they gave it to Debo Samuel. Jimmy G was just good enough as usual. He was he actually stayed away from you know mistakes until the very end of the game. Uh, still, he missed a couple of throws. Debo he took a couple of chains away before the Rams Rams called Craig over to knock him out and the rest of the 49ers. And the Rams they're going to the second Super Bowl in five years under Sean McVay. They'll definitely be the favorites. But there's no guarantee. None. Now, as far as Garoppolo, I totally get his playoff record. Coming in, he was, what, 6-1. and one. That one loss was in the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, but it's totally understandable. You have to, if you've watched it, he needs a more dependable option at quarterback. And I'm saying this about a guy who was 36-16 and 16 with Garoppolo and 8-31 and 31 without him. Is Trey Lance the answer? We'll see. He'll get his chance next season if Jimmy is gone. And signs point to Jimmy G is probably going to be out the door. And anyway, speaking of former 
New England Patriot quarterbacks, of course, Tom Brady retires. He makes it official. It was questionable as of yesterday, but he made it official today after saying, ah, we're going to take it day to day. After 22 years in the NFL, and this is according to Field Gates on, on Twitter, Tom Brady's 22-year career, seven-time Super, Super Bowl champion and five-time Super Bowl MVP, NFL records, three-time NFL MVP, 15-time Pro Bowler, six-time All-Pro, the NFL's all-time leading passer as far as touchdowns and yardage and the most career wins, 243. He's the GOAT. He's the GOAT. Oh, and New England looks like they're going to be starting all over again. The, the, the Bills are going to find another option as far as offensive coordinator Brian Dayball. He's now the head coach of the New York Giants. And uh, <laughs> New England, like I said, they, Josh McDaniels, I think he's going to stick with the Vegas Raiders now. <laughs> so he's the new head coach there, as well as the director of player personnel from New England is going to be the GM. His name escapes me right now. So a lot of changes. And then, of course, breaking news today, um, Brian Flores files a civil suit against the NFL uh, and his teams because of hiring practices. And man, uh, not good. Um, maybe we'll get into that uh, in another time. <laughs> this isn't that show, but very interesting. Very, very interesting. So anyway, again, we continue our journey along some historical games in NFL history. We're coming up next, the coldest game in NFL history. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In 1967, the Green Bay Packers were on sort of a decline. It was pretty much the end of a dynasty, okay? The Green Bay Packers up under head coach and Hall of Famer Vince Lombardi, they were going after a second chance at a 3 P. They missed out earlier in the 60s. 61 and 62, they won it all. But then in 63, because the Chicago Bears won the Western Conference. They get, did not get a shot at the championship. So there was no Super Bowl yet. But then heading into the Super Bowl era before 1966, 65 and 66, they won it all. They won the NFL championship in 65. Of course, then they began the Super Bowl, which was the AFL-NFL championship in 66. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And going into 67, you had a lot of age on that team. You had 
uh, some some players that were not on the past championship teams over the past, what, seven years. No more Hall of Fame running back tandem of Paul Horning and Jim Taylor. The year before, they both ended up in New Orleans. Horning, who was really at the end of his career, never even played a down for New Orleans. And Jim Taylor was selected because in the uh, in 67 is when the New Orleans Saints came to be. And there was the expansion draft and they took Jim Taylor. He was put his name was put in that hat. Now, keep in mind the year before the Packers running backs. Yeah, they were getting a little long in the tooth, which proved to be right, because Jim Taylor only played one more season. And that was his final year, the one year that he played with New Orleans before he ended up retiring, as did Paul Horning. They had selected two young running backs. I think it was Jim Grabowski and Donnie Anderson. And they got paid some big money. And it was nothing new under the sun. Jim Taylor wanted big money as well. He didn't get it. And there was a back and forth, of course, between him and Lombardi. And they went on and won the championship in 66. But that proved to be his final year. So I guess it was easy putting his name in the expansion hat. Barstar had an off year. Really off year. Hall of Fame quarterback. Probably the best quarterback as far as overall, um, I guess you say, not just numbers, not just talent. Because Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback they've ever had. But Barstar probably is arguably the best quarterback that the Packers had. Um, But here's the thing. You talk about Peyton Manning having a bad year his last year. In, uh, when he went to the Super Bowl and won it with really Von Miller in that defense, right? Almost similar numbers, right? Barstar had nine touchdowns and 17 picks that season, and he missed some time. But they had the number one defense in the league. So that year, they fought their way to uh, the, the best record in the league, I believe it was. And December 31st, on New Year's Eve, 1967, Green Bay, Wisconsin, they welcomed in the Dallas Cowboys. So there was a little slight weather issue if you don't know anything about what came to be known as the Ice Bowl. It was 13 below zero. 13 below zero. I still, I, I can't even wrap my mind around that kind of cold. If anyone knows me, I hate being cold. I really do. And just thinking about that makes me want to wrap up in a blanket. But then not just that, and I've read multiple different uh, reports as, and even went on nationalweatherservice.com for that day. And I'll read you some numbers on that that just blew my mind. The wind chill, it was negative 35 degrees below, negative 48 as far as the lowest that it dropped. And you had 50,861 freezing fans in Lambeau Field. The first play though, is what really threw me off of that game in that NFL championship game before the Super Bowl, the first play. So the referees had metal whistles, right? And the first play, the whistle is blown by the referee and the whistle is stuck to the referee's lip. And he had to rip it off of his lip and he's bleeding all over the place. And even his blood freezes. There were no more whistles the rest of the game. All the, they just yelled, stop, you know, it, there was no whistles. There was no whistles. <laughs> and if you go back and watch that game, you'll notice after that first, that first play, there was no, that first whistle that was blown, there was no more. None. Fast forward. 
After two bar star touchdown passes, they were up 14 to nothing, looking like they were going to coast to a win. And then the second quarter, they have an issue. Two second uh, quarter Packer turnovers gave 10 points to Dallas. By halftime, the field was icing over and it only got worse. So uh, you had a fumble return for a touchdown and then another fumble that turned into uh, a field goal for Dallas. So Dallas ends up taking a 17 to 14 lead when Dan Reeves, who was wearing an ugly neck roll in that game, if you listen to the Dan Reeves uh, show, but Dan Reeves was a quarterback in college and that was one of those plays that Tom Landry had put in. He stops and throws a 50-yard touchdown pass to Lance Rensel, and they took the lead from there. So, to open up the fourth quarter, as a matter of fact, fast forward a little bit later into the fourth quarter, the final drive the Packers have is fourth quarter. It's four minutes and 50 seconds left to go in the game. Again, the field is iced over, and nobody can get any good footing or anything. It was a little more of a defensive battle at this point, but there were points on the board that the Green Bay Packers had to have if they were going to make that third straight championship. They had to get there first, let alone, you know, they had to win this game. So Green Bay starts off on their own 31-yard line, 68 yards away. By this time, it is 18 below zero. It is dropping like a rock. And I believe by midnight, it had reached as low as 19 below zero. That is ridiculous. So tell you a little bit about a Packer running back that was brought in midseason by the name of Chuck Mercine. Chuck Mercine was a, a late round draft pick by the New York Giants. And six games in, he, I mean, he ended up playing six games with the Giants because, I mean, it was with the Packers because he was cut by the Giants and it looked like his football career was over. Uh, the Packers had injuries themselves that they were dealing with. There, again, there was no more horning in Jim Taylor, right? Those two Hall of Fame running backs. And then they were down to guys like uh, Jim Grabowski, Ben Wilson, Donnie Anderson, and Elijah Pitts. But they had a lot of, they, they were playing the, the running back commi- by committee thing, right? But Grabowski and Ben Wilson, they were really the leaders. And I think Elijah Pitts actually was the the, the starter starter. But Mercine ended up starting in the ice bowl that game. And that's what he was brought in for. He, I mean, he, didn't, he didn't touch the ball much. He didn't play a whole lot. But he did in this game. So the final drive, 68 yards. They had to drive to either tie or go for the W, right? Mercine would account for half of those yards, 34 of those 68 yards on his own. His last carry got them all the way down to the three-yard line. Donnie Anderson gets another carry. They're down to the one-yard line. They are out of timeouts. So they have a decision to make. Starr takes the final timeout with 13 seconds left. So either you're going to kick a field goal. I think it was Don Chandler was the kicker for the Packers at the time. Either you're going to kick that field goal or you're just going to go for it all. And they said... You know, what the heck? So they called Brown Wright 31 wedge. That play was supposed to go right up the middle to Mercine. He was supposed to score the game-winning touchdown. Well, there are some, uh, let's just call it conflicting accounts. So if you watch the play, Mercine uh, is lined up and is going forward like he's going to get the football. Apparently, according to Hall of Fame guard Jerry Kramer, 
he heard he says that he heard star tell him that he was going to keep the ball that was totally not the play call was going to be pretty much a quarterback wedge or a quarterback sneak and jethro Pugh, the big time defensive tackle uh, along with bob lilly but jethro Pugh was the tackle that jerry kramer took out on the final play they run it and star keeps the football goes over the goal line touchdown packers yeah, they win. If you're watching that play, Mercine is actually throwing his arms up in the air to show that he's not doing a Reggie Bush push. You know what I'm saying? USC, Notre Dame pushing the quarterback in the end zone for a game-winning touchdown, and he's falling on top. Because he, he said you know, he was trying not to show that he was assisting, which I believe, I guess it would have been a penalty back then. I'm not totally sure. Apparently so. But it was it was crazy. It, it, was, it was so crazy the way that that happened with Marcin, this the whole story with Chuck Marcin, they go on to win that game with no time remaining, 21 to 17, I believe it was. The Packers move on to Super Bowl II. Well, you fast forward to that, that game, as far as the aftermath is concerned, five minutes before kickoff in sunny Miami, Marcin is told that he's not starting and he's probably not even gonna play. I think he even got one carry in the Super Bowl for no yards. They're playing against the Oakland Raiders. Ben Wilson actually got the start for that game, and he led the Packers in rushing in that game, and it was not, not a game much. It wasn't much of a game. They beat the Raiders 33-14. to 14. But Mercine, uh, he stayed on with Green Bay 68-69 and, and ended up with the New York Jets in 1970. And it was really crazy the way his story ended because uh, he never started a game again. The only game he ever started was the Ice Bowl. And Mercine ended up calling up, I think it was, uh, he met up with, I think it was Joe Namath because they were in need of a running back again. And this is a couple of years removed from their Super Bowl three win, right? And in 1970, Matt Snell, who, I would say should have been the MVP of Super Bowl three. He went down hurt, and Marcin ended up back playing again with the uh, the New York Jets in his final year before he ended up retiring. But uh, his story, he was he was just a kind of a fill in back, but he was really big in the Ice Bowl, and they ended up going for that three peat, and they got the three peat because of the the play of Chuck Marcin. Lombardi, as far as the aftermath of Lombardi, of course, he had hinted at retirement. And Super Bowl II was the last game he coached for the new, for the uh, Green Bay Packers. Now, he eventually came back to coach the uh, Washington uh, football team, all due respect. But in 1970, matter of fact, September 3rd, 1970, he passed away at 57 years old. And this is... Uh, as far as the Green Bay Packers, he resigned three weeks after that Super Bowl. And then eventually, like I said, he ended up with the Washington football team and he had passed away from, from cancer. Uh, very, very uh, interesting story. And as far as some other important notes on the Ice Bowl, though, according to the National Weather Service, I said I looked at some of that. There were several players. <laughs> surprise, surprise. They were treated for frostbite. And a fan in the stands actually died because of the cold exposure. It was crazy. Um, and there were some other little numbers just as far as Green Bay. It was the coldest and longest stretch. It was a nine-day stretch during the 67-68 winter season. And it began the day of the Ice Bowl. Seven of the nine days during that stretch did not even go 
over zero degrees. And I think they got like uh, 20 inches of snow. Uh, and the Ice Bowl, it ranked first all time for any lowest average temperature game uh, for December 31st in Green Bay, which was negative six and a half degrees. Anyway, you slice it, it was too cold to be playing football. <laughs> for me, it's just too cold to be playing football. But they did it. They did it. And that's a game I would not have showed up to. Coming up next, missing rings, the tuck rule, and a flag that was never thrown. Raiders and Saints fans may want to stop listening now. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash teamready. talk about missing rings in the 98 Minnesota Vikings seemingly had it all yes we're talking about the 1998 NFC Championship game Falcons at the Vikings the Vikings had it all great offense led by Randall Cunningham who actually came off the bench after being out of football to take over for one Brad Johnson who was hurt I believe it was week two of that season Chris Carter Hall of Famer eventual Hall of Fame but then rookie Randy Moss, great running game with Robert Smith, a, a pretty good defense led by John Randall. And, I mean, they were going to the NFC Championship game at 15-1. and one, And the roster had seven pro bowlers and three all-pros. What more could you want? Take a walk, a walk with me, though, through a painful Minnesota Vikings history in the playoffs. They've already lost four Super Bowls since 1969. Two more conference championship games. And not to mention losing in the divisional round 10 times and four wildcard games. They're always close and always on the, the edge, the cusp, but they never bring it home. Never bring it in. The Atlanta Falcons, on the other hand, they have bounced back through hiring longtime Broncos head coach and one-time Giants head coach Dan Reeves. This team went from, what, 3-13 under June Jones you're out of here. And then they hired Reeves. They went 7-9 in 1997, and they finished the 98 season 14-2. The Vikings were the clear favorite in the NFC Championship game. No doubt. 11-point favorites. 11. They were the Super Bowl favorites as well going into the playoffs. Their offense, it was led by offensive coordinator Brian Billick, and they had scored an NFL record 556 points. And the only loss that Minnesota had was to Vikings former defensive coordinator Tony Dungy and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week nine. Only the 84 and uh, the 84 Niners, 49ers, and the 85 Bears, they were the only other teams in NFL history that had lost a single game. Those two teams won the Super Bowl. 
<laughs> Super Bowls 19 and 20. As a matter of fact, back-to-back seasons. Well, this game was a little reminiscent of what we just watched with the Chiefs and the Bengals on Sunday. Second quarter, Minnesota, they're up 20 to 7. And this is after Jamal Anderson, Falcons, Dirty Bird running back. He scores the game's opening touchdown. Minnesota scored on four straight possessions. Yeah, but it could be also argued that the Minnesota Vikings should have been up by a lot more, especially had Randy Moss not dropped a touchdown on one of those drives. Fast forward to the fourth quarter. Minnesota has a 27-20 lead with 2-12 left to go in the game. 39-year-old Vikings kicker Gary Anderson, and he was the kicker for my Pittsburgh Steelers for quite a while as well. He had not missed a kick in two years. Two years. He's perfect. He hadn't missed an extra point either. 39-year-old Garrett Anderson, he missed a 39-year, uh, 39-yard field goal. In the Falcons, they drive and they tie the score at 27 with 57 seconds. Left. Now, also key is that the Vikings had lost five starters to this point as well. Some on defense as well as on offense. Overtime, well, both teams have two possessions. The Falcons have Morton Anderson, another one of those old school kickers who was with the New Orleans Saints for most of his career. He has a field goal with the same distance as Gary Anderson to put his team up by 10. And look, Gary Anderson was trying to put his team up by 10. 39 yards. Morton does what Gary couldn't and sends the Falcons to the Super Bowl for the first time ever. Minnesota Vikings, some missed opportunities, a missed field goal, missing ring. Aftermath, simply put the Falcons, they go on the Super Bowl, I think it was 38, losing to the defending champs, the Denver Broncos, in John Elway's final game. Minnesota, well, they've yet to make it to the Super Bowl. To this day, we'll make it back to the Super Bowl. To this day, the Vikings have since made the playoffs nine times, and they lost the conference championship game three times since. They didn't make the playoffs this year, and it cost the, the coach and GM their job. All right, so 2001 divisional playoff. I think you know where I'm going with this one. Raiders at the Patriots. After back-to-back 8-8 eight eight seasons, Oakland Raiders head coach John Gruden got his squad into the AFC Championship game uh, in January of 2001. They lost to the eventual Super Bowl champion Baltimore Ravens. Yes, that was the team that was head coached by Minnesota's offensive coordinator, Brian Billick. Uh, the offense wasn't that great. He didn't have Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Robert Smith, or especially not Randall Cunningham throwing the football. But he had the 2000 Ravens defense led by one Ray Lewis. So that was enough. The following season, the Raiders were on the cusp of going back for a second straight year. Entered the New England Patriots. Now the last time they had been in the Super Bowl was back in 1996. Up under the big tuna, Bill Parcells himself, and quarterback by Drew Bledsoe. By 2000, they had fell off. They were 5-11. and 11. Well, 2001 came, comes around, and Tom Brady, he's in his second year, the sixth-round pick, who just retired, the GOAT. Second year, he, was the, he moved himself up the depth chart to be the backup to Drew Bledsoe, who had just come fresh off of signing with a 10-year, 100-something million dollar deal or whatever it was. He was the franchise until week two. 
against the Jets. Mo Lewis nearly killed him. Uh, on that hit that Drew Bledsoe suffered, um, this is what, two, uh, a week after 9-11 because the original week two game was supposed to be played, it was supposed to be played. And of course, we have the Twin Towers situation and they canceled games, moved the stuff to the next week. And while the rest of the world is, uh, and I'll, I'll just quote from America's game, the story of the 2001 New England Patriots, while the rest of the world and is healing, well, <laughs> Drew Bledsoe was hurting. And that hit caused a collapsed lung and internal bleeding that almost killed the man. Bill Belichick went with Tom Brady at quarterback in spite later on, Drew Bledsoe being back healthy. So Brady, again, he helped his team to an 11-5 record, and he started pretty much the rest of the season. Fast forward to January 19, 2002, that AFC Divisional Playoff round. Foxborough Stadium, the Raiders are being hosted, and it's snowing sideways. Midway, though, through the fourth quarter, the Raiders have a 13-3 lead with 7 minutes and 52 seconds left. Brady scores on a 6-yard touchdown run. Okay, 13-10 Raider lead. So the Raiders get the ball back with 2 minutes and some change. Gruden, he hands the football to kill the clock three straight times to Charlie Gardner. That only gets nine yards. They end up having to punt. <laughs> but this is a little long, uh, a little forgotten play. <laughs> and it could have been so much the other way before it got to the most famous play of that game or in NFL history. Troy Brown takes the punt on a one hop and he darts through the middle. Looks like he's about to break it. And he fumbles. And... Patriots fans, I'm sure they thank God every day for Larry Izzo because that linebacker was there to recover the fumble and the Patriots got the ball. No timeouts left with two minutes and six seven, six seconds. Excuse me. Brady throws a pass to Kevin Falk, seven yards. Two-minute warning. Brady takes off running for a first down, down to a minute and 50. And then this happens. The next play, Brady's former Michigan teammate and eventual Hall of Fame cornerback Charles Woodson Comes in from the Patriots' right side, Woodson's left, on a corner blitz, untouched. Knocks the ball clearly out of the hand of Tom Brady. And linebacker Greg Beekert for the Raiders recovers the fumble and the sideline is celebrating. But the referees have to review the play. Uh-oh. NFL Rule 3, Section 21, Article 2, Note 2. The Tug Rule. If you don't know what it is, Here's what it is, quote, when an office of players holding the ball to pass it forward, any intentional forward movement of his arm starts a forward pass. Even if the player loses possession of the ball as he is attempting to tuck it back towards his body. Also, if the player has tucked the ball into his body and then loses possession, it is a fumble. So you look at the play, and I, I know Patriots fan. Anybody that's not a Patriots fan, they agree that it was a fumble. That it, it, it was a fumble. Looked like a fumble to me. Head referee Walt Coleman goes under the hood, comes back and says that the quarterback's arm was going forward, and that it was an incomplete pass. Was the rule correct? Yeah, but the problem is, even though Brady had took the football back towards his body, because he. He, he wants to throw this slant that's coming across the middle. I can't remember if it was David Patton or Troy Brown. But he's looking to his left, and he pumps it. 
uh, and brings the football back towards his body. He clearly has the ball tucked back, but when Woodson arrives, Woodson hits his wrist and the ball comes free. I mean, you read the rule. <laughs> you read the rule. It basically is saying that the quarterback, if he fumbles the football on his own after tucking it in, after a, a, an intentional ball, his hand, arm going forward, then that's a that's not a fumble. But if somebody else is there to hit the ball out of your hand, that's a fumble, right? Okay, that's what I thought. No shade, duck. But Walt Coleman, uh, he made the call after reviewing it, and clearly Brady took the ball back towards his body. And look, oh well, the back the pass got the football back. The next play. Brady to David Patton for a first down. Then after two Brady incompletions, he keeps the ball on a little one-yard run, and it was fourth down to nine. And some way, somehow, Adam Vinatieri nails a 45-yard low line of field goal. Vinatieri has been quoted as basically saying he doubted if he would even make that kick. He said it was about four or five inches of snow on the ground, and it's true. The Patriots scored 10 points, though, in eight minutes to tie the score at 13. In overtime, the pass won the coin toss and the Raiders never saw the ball again. Brady drove the Patriots all the way down inside the Raider 10-yard line, which included a fourth down conversion pass on fourth and four. As a matter of fact, a pass from Brady to Troy Brown. No timeouts. I mean, well, Gruden called, called his final two timeouts, which actually the Patriots love because Vinatieri and his uh, linemen, they got the clear path to, you know, be able to put the football down for his field goal attempt. Of course, he nails that 23-yarder that sends them into the AFC Championship game. Now, the aftermath on that, the Patriots, they went into Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers before upsetting the L.A. Uh, LA St. Louis Rams in Super Bowl 36. Another Adam Vinatieri game-winning field goal. And we shall all know that that started the Patriots dynasty and the legend of Tom Brady, as well as Bill Belichick, who was eight games under 500 before that season. Makes a lot of sense, right? As for the Raiders, Al Davis sent John Gruden packing a month after their loss. There were rumors that Gruden should, you know, not should, should, but that he would possibly leave to, get, uh, to coach Notre Dame and maybe even Ohio State. And then also in the pros, Tampa Bay was in the air as well. So, I guess you can say Al Davis obliged him. He traded John Gruden to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Forget this. Two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and $8 million. Wow. How did that work out? Well, Gruden got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to Super Bowl 37, and he put an epic beat down on his former team, 48-21, and it wasn't even that close. After all that, it kind of goes all the way back to the NFL playoffs in 76. Remember that game uh, we've talked about before? Mentioned at least twice. Madden got in his Raiders. They went, uh, actually, they hosted the New England Patriots. Got themselves a, a win off of a bad, bad call. Yeah, that win led the Raiders to their first ever Super Bowl championship. Yes, the Sugar Bear Hamilton personal foul, third and long for the Raiders. An incompletion thrown by Ken Stabler, but the drive was kept alive. Because Hamilton had hit, now check that, he grazed the helmet of Ken Stabler 
and Stabler eventually runs the football in for the game-winning touchdown that put them in the AFC Championship game. They go beat the Steelers before going to beat down the Minnesota Vikings in uh, Super Bowl, I think it was 11. Um, as for the tuck rule, you know, if my memory serves me correctly, the NFL did away with the tuck rule in 2013. All right, so I'm going to finish up with this one. Look, 2018 NFC Championship game, Rams at Saints. All right, so... Let's not pretend. We all know what happened. So let's summarize it, shall we? A minute and 49 seconds left in the game. It's tied at 20. You had the big 43-yard pass from uh, Drew Brees to Ted Ginn Jr. All right? The Rams, they got, what, two timeouts left. Then you had the incompletion on first down from Brees to Mike Thomas. Stops the clock. Then a no gain on a run by Alvin Kamara. It's third down and 10. Breeze, he throws a ball to Tommy Lee Lewis. And this is when we have a, plot, a problem. Rams corner, Nikhil Roby Coleman. He isn't playing the ball at all. He purposely hits Lewis as if it's a tackle. Just, just face first goes right into, goes into Tommy Lee Lewis. Knocking him out of bounds, no flag. Now, I understand the Rams fans, they have a point. The Saints should have ran the football, causing L.A. to use their last two timeouts. Then you kick the field goal. Then there's even the fact, though, that New Orleans led 13 to nothing after the first quarter. At home. Sound familiar? But it still doesn't excuse a non-call. Period. Point blank. The Saints, they kick the field goal. They're up 23 to 20. Give the Rams credit. They come right back. A minute and change left. They tie the game at 23 with 15 seconds left. A clutch 48-yard kick from Greg Zerline. And then what's worse, though, is that there's another possible P.I. that should have been called on John Johnson of the Rams. Breeze gets hit on his hand as he's throwing a pass to Mike Thomas, and it gets picked off by Johnson. But clearly, he's holding up Thomas from getting back to the ball, and he picks it. Well, Zerline, he kicks a 57-yard field goal to put the Rams in the Super Bowl. Uh, of course, you know, there's the aftermath to that. The league's head of officials, Al Riveron, actually met with Sean Payton, Saints head coach, right after the game and admitted the crew missed the pass interference call. But check this out. The league also admitted that, not, that another call was missed, a helmet-to-helmet -helmet hit in which Roby Coleman was fined $26,000. $739 for. Heading into the next season, the league made a change to replay rules. Coaches, they were allowed to challenge called or uncalled pass interference. That only lasted a year. And it was a, like a Spotify free trial, 30-day free trial. You know, they only had a one-year trial of that. And according to a Washington Post article in September of that same year, Roby Coleman said straight up, yeah, it was He's like, hey, yeah, that was P.I. He figured he was beat, you know, pretty much and did what most defensive backs are coached to do is commit the pass interference rather than give up a score, except Lewis was not going to score. The Rams went on to Super Bowl 51, and they lost to the Patriots. The Saints, well, they posted back-to-back. -back. Well, actually, they, they had a 13-3 season and a 12-4 season, and they were upset both times. Drew Brees retired after 2020. And, of course, Sean Payton just stepped down as head coach of the Saints. And the Rams are back in the Super Bowl. How you like them apples? We'll see if they can 
bring it home for a second time in in their fifth try for the Rams organization. All right, that's it. References, thanks to YardBarker.com, the most crushing defeats in NFL playoff history by Sam Robinson. Also, the most improbable Super Bowl champions, Weather.gov, the National Weather Service. That was that was some crazy information. Somebody actually died in the stands. That's 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 terrible. NewYorkJets.com. Where are they now? Chuck Mercine. Catch up with the what 65 1965 draft pick out of Yale. Yale uh, by Jim Gaiman. The Washington Post. How the Saints and Rams no call changed the NFL by Adam Kilgore. Also a couple of books. America's Game. The 2001 New England Patriots. The Sporting News, complete Super Bowl book, 1993 edition. We've got three guys to give credit as far as that book being written. Tom Dinert, Joe Hopple, and Dave Sloan. Also, my favorite book, America's Game, the NFL at 100. Co-written by Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. A couple of websites, ProFootballReference.com, ProFootballHallOfFame.com, and ESPN.com. Closing this thing out. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network, BellyUpSports.com, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, all of those great podcasting outlets. You can tell your friends and family about this show as well as others. Or I'll find your house again. Thanks to everyone, especially uh, my, my FedEx family, my Belly Up Sports family, my church family, Greater Christ Temple Church, uh, South Inglewood, Temple Church, all of those churches, those pastors, uh, thanks to all of my friends and especially my family members in the support that you've had and the love you've shown me from the passing of my mother. Mom, Eugenia Joanne Sweeney, mother, I love you. I'm out. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.